Hi, Gary Zacharias. Well, the McDowells have struck again. This is another book with uh, Josh and Sean McDowell co-writing it. It's called The Beauty of Intolerance. Well, welcome to another edition of the Apologist Bookshelf. Um, I wanted to share with you something that is a, a huge social concern these days, the whole idea of tolerance. And so I love the title of their book, The Beauty of Intolerance. The subtitle, Setting a Generation Free to Know Truth and Love. And I'm sure you know enough about Josh. He's been around for quite a while, five decades. And uh, so he's got a website, josh.org. And Sean, of course, his son, uh, has been involved in apologetics now for quite a while, and he's written a lot of good books. And this one is so fascinating to me because of the title, The Beauty of Intolerance. We're just hammered over and over again about how bad intolerance is. But on the back cover, it says, Intolerance is a beautiful thing when you understand it from God's point of view. And so this book deals with the struggle, this whole thing that we have these days about the confusion over what tolerance is. David Limbaugh said, this is, there is incredible confusion over the nature of tolerance. Should, should we be tolerant, intolerant? He says, the McDowells provide valuable insight, compelling stories, and practical steps for seeing through the cultural confusion so you can lovingly stand for truth. So let me share with you first just a, a, the opening of this. I think Sean wrote this part. He said, because he works so much with young people, he was a high school teacher for quite a while. He said, today's young adult generation holds a really different source of moral truth than the reader does. Young people today get their narrative about truth from the culture. And what does the culture tell them? Moral truth is found where? In the individual. So the biblical view is very different. So the Bible says moral truth and the biblical view, I should say, of Christians, that it's found in the Bible, that moral truth is grounded in the character of God. It's objective. It's universal. Now, how do you find it? You discover the nature of God. You read scripture and within nature and see his ways being revealed. The other view, he calls it the cultural narrative, is that moral truth comes from the individual. It's subjective and it's situational. It's personal experience. In other words, you're the creator of your own truth. And then Sean deals like we've heard uh, in other books about the importance of words and what words mean. Words like tolerance and respect and acceptance and moral judgments and personal preference. These are just some of the words that are so different for kids today than what we think of, ad adults think of now. So for example, Sean has a chart here the word, let's take the word truth. I won't do all the words, but the word truth. The biblical understanding is you recognize and respect others when you don't share their values, beliefs, and practices. That's tolerance. You don't share their values and beliefs, but you tolerate them. Well, what's tolerance for today's world, the non-Christian view? You recognize and you respect that everybody's values and truth claims and beliefs and practices are equally valid. So that's a huge difference. You, you value, as a Christian, you value the individual. As a modern culture, you value the beliefs, all having equal uh, value. So he talks about that at the beginning of this book. He said, he said, you know, out of all these words on that chart there, it's that word tolerance that is, is so key. He said, when individuals think of themselves as their own source, 
for creating moral truth, then they feel like nobody has the right to judge them. So if you need to accept them. And if you accept them, you accept their moral truth. All moral truth is equal. But the biblical view is that it's God's character that determines what's morally right and wrong. God is the standard for tolerance in the original and traditional meaning. How does he tolerate? He, he loves us without approving of our sinful condition. That's really fascinating, isn't it? That the God of the universe would care for us even though we're so broken. So he says, truth and traditional tolerance are the necessary balancing ingredients to genuinely love and accept others unconditionally. It's a combination, truth and tolerance to balance. Now, he's got a subsection here before we get to the chapter I want to focus on. He calls it, when intolerance is beautiful. What? How is that possible? Oh, he does such a good job here. He first starts with what cultural tolerance says. It says, don't just give people the freedom to believe or live differently. Now, it's a demand that we have to accept. We have to respect. We have to affirm other people's views and behavior. Or we get labeled, guess what? Intolerant, bigoted, or even hateful. But he said, God is intolerant. He's intolerant. There's moral outrage throughout the Bible toward poverty and racism and sexual abuse and slavery and all these kinds of things. God's the, the, the definer and model for true tolerance and intolerance. So he's tolerant and he shows love, doesn't he? Because he came to this earth. He sacrificed, died as a sacrifice. That's true tolerance. But at the same time, you can see that he's intolerant of sin, doesn't, isn't he? Over and over again. God hates evil and he hates injustice because it ruined the human race. So his love is balanced with his, so his tolerance is balanced with his intolerance, isn't it? His love for us prompted him to do something. And he says his dad, Josh, I think this is a, a kick. I'd like to see this. His, his dad created a t-shirt and on the front it says, intolerance is a beautiful idea. Boy, you talk about getting people's attention, huh? Like intolerance is a beautiful idea. On the back, it reads, Mother Teresa was intolerant of poverty. Bono was intolerant of AIDS. Nelson Mandela was intolerant of apartheid. Martin Luther King was intolerant of racism. Jesus was intolerant of bigotry. And he said a lot of people respond to that shirt. Yeah, I guess so. So the claim is, and I can't go into the details here, but the claim in this opening intro, he says it's not difficult to show how adopting the culture's view of truth, in other words, the idea of accept and, and not just accept, but encourage and hold up to affirmation. He said the cultural's narrative of truth is ill-conceived, toxic, and unfulfilling. So he's going to go on. Uh, he and his dad are going to go on and explain that in the rest of the book, which I don't have time to do here. He says, if you contrast that modern narrative of truth with the biblical narrative, he said, you can see that cultural tolerance does not actually show respect for others or even, even show that you care for them. It actually does the opposite. As he ends his intro, he says, here's the good news. He calls it, why there is such hope. He said, there is hope. He said, They've done some studies that show that parents are seen as role models for 45% um, of young people consider their parents to be their role models. 
32% look to friends and just 15% look to celebrities as role models. Wow. I, <laughs> I find that depressing that's that's that high, 15%. But he says, we have a struggle going on here for the hearts and minds of young people, and we want to help you win. So that's what the whole book is trying to do, to help us win. And they give you a lot of examples of conversations parents get into with their children. And unfortunately, some of them end up not ending uh, as a good conversation that's the kids stalk out really unhappy. So there are good ways to engage the young people. All right, I'm going to go to chapter four, When Anything Goes. And the, I don't know who wrote this one, so I'll just say the McDowell's. They say in the, if you look at the most teenagers today, they don't have a universal standard. For example, like sexual morality or absolutes, it's just a person's own view. That's what makes it right or wrong. It becomes actually a matter of opinion or personal preference or just how the individual feels about things, then as you can guess, just about anything goes. So he says, we need to be aware of how an anything goes culture, how it's influencing our children's perception of the Bible and what they think is virtuous and what's honorable and what's courageous, even their understanding of justice. He says, for a lot of people, they look at the Bible as a source of moral truth, not the source. It's only true for the people who believe it's true. They don't see it as a universally true revelation for the entire human race. They see a lot of a lot of young people see uh, older people going to the Bible not to discover the truth, but kind of a self-help book. And he says they are very uncomfortable today, young people are, with the idea that any one particular viewpoint is true for everybody, especially when you look at the Bible and uh, you say it's a roadmap that leads toward the discovery of true reality. Whoa, you get some blowback on that, don't you? But he said, you know, the Bible is unique among all other religious writings that's based on historical events backed up by credible historical evidence. So they're starting off in this chapter about why can you trust the Bible, basically, now he says the, the way God communicated to people was based on three primary realities. One, the historic reliability of Scripture. So they use that 2 Timothy 3.16 verse that says all Scripture is inspired by God. It's not just an inspirational book. It's God-breathed. It can be trusted as a reliable historical document. And there's a lot of evidence to substantiate that. I'll tell you, I would really recommend I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. That is a really good book to look at the, the evidence for the reliability of the Bible. And then also uh, J. Warner Wallace's book, Cold Case Christianity. All right, so number one was you can trust the Bible, the historical reliability. Number two, we have good credible evidence for the deity of Christ. I mean, if Christ isn't who he claimed to be, then you can toss Christianity away. It's not true. But he says there is credible historical evidence to back that up. And again, there are a lot of good books that go into that. Number three. So another reality, he says, that you can trust God's communication with us is the resurrection of Jesus. He says without Jesus really rising from the dead, then his promises to everybody of eternal life, that's meaningless. They quote Paul, who says, If Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless, and you're still guilty of your sins. In that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. But 
the good news is, of course, that Jesus did rise from the dead. And again, I've got things on my website, apologeticsforlife.org, and I've talked about other books that do focus on why we can trust Christ did rise. So he says these are three, I say he, I should say they, the McDowell say that the one true God's communication with humanity through Christianity is based on three realities, supported by evidence, the historical reliability of Scripture, the deity of Christ, and Christ's bodily resurrection. And he said, uh, "We will." I'm going to skip over some of this because there's just not the time. But he said, let your young people know the Bible isn't a mere resource or a set of inspirational stories and helpful guidelines to get your own truth. It's the means by which the one true God has chosen to reveal himself to each one of us. So he says, there's your first step when you're talking about truth and being tolerant and whose truth is what. Show that the Bible is the true inspired word of God. You've got to start there. The Bible is the one true inspired word of God. And we do that through the things he was talking about here. It's historically trustworthy what Jesus said about himself and then the resurrection can all be uh, vouched for that way. He, let's see, I'm going to, I think, uh, I kind of like this here. He says, how virtuous are virtues? And he said, uh, something that you can talk about with somebody who buys into cultural uh, toleration he said but if you are part of that cultural view of tolerance and evil and good are only relative ideas if you don't have an objective truth beyond us then good and evil are just defined by the individual or the community or society then we don't have any moral basis to judge another person or community so for example what about the atrocity of groups like isis al-qaeda hamas wait a minute, if you say they have their own truth, let's be tolerant, then who's to say what they did is wrong? But it's the Judeo-Christian moral tradition of Western culture that has brought about tolerance and denounced immoral practices. They actually quote from a atheist philosopher, Luck, L-U-C, last name Ferry, F-E-R-R-Y. He stated bluntly that the Christian notion of equality was, quote, unprecedented at the time and one to which our world owes its entire democratic inheritance. So, do you hear what he's saying there? Christianity itself provides the only suitable basis for tolerance and human rights. So he said, talk to your kids about what makes terrorist acts wrong. We're asked to be tolerant of what everybody else believes. Well, should we be tolerant of terrorists, child rapists? You can go on down the list, can't you? Uh, sex traffickers, he says, no way, that, that's not appropriate. But unless there are objective and universal moral values, no one has the right to judge even the worst atrocities of terrorists. There's an essay I read that basically is, they call it the, the says who. You tell somebody, hey, you shouldn't do that or you should do that. If you don't think there's a standard outside of us, they're going to tell you, so who are you? Says who? He says, under cultural tolerance, we can't say for certain who is truly honorable and just. Many atheists do believe terrorism is wrong. We're not saying that atheists are terrible people. I mean, they'll condemn terrorism, but the McDowell say the question is not whether they believe it's wrong, but what source are they relying on to make that judgment? Atheists have no objective standard for morality, so they borrow from the Judeo-Christian worldview when they make moral judgments. 
And they're getting some of this, and they, they acknowledge that they're getting some of this from Frank Turek in a book of his called Stealing from God. Okay, so I think I better wrap up here. Uh, gosh, there's a lot more in this chapter. Let, let me just cover one more part here about injustice. They said uh, God was intolerant in the Old Testament about human abuse. He provided guidelines for how foreigners should be treated. And this is something you don't hear about. People say the Old Testament is full of uh, evil things. Slaves in Israel had a high degree of status, rights, and protections unheard of in the ancient Near East. Slaves were included in a religious life, were granted a weekly Sabbath rest. They had a day off. They had to be set free if bodily harm was inflicted on them. Every seven years, they had the chance for freedom. In the New Testament, God condemns slave traders. That's 1 Timothy 1, 9-11. So, uh, well, i got to do this, too. Uh, I should knock this off in a second here. But he says, what about the positive influences that the biblical morality has had on justice and caring for others? How about this? This is something that is a legacy of Christianity, a high value of human life, care for the sick. Uh, It's Christians that created hospitals. Christians uh, pushed literacy and education for the masses. They abolished slavery in the Western world. They elevated uh, women. They had high standards of justice and civil liberties. They did all sorts of charity work. So he said, they said, when you're talking with your, your young people that you know in a class or your own kids, use examples like this, slavery, human trafficking, racism, to help your young people understand this, that all of this has come about, all of these good things that have come about and the, uh, the opposition to terrible things has come about because of Christianity, you know, all concepts of truth are equal and determined by the individual. That doesn't lead to a system of justice for all. So plenty of material here. Uh, sorry to cut it off at this point. You almost have to, this is a hard book to summarize one chapter. You almost have to read the whole thing. So let me just, as I wrap this up, let me just hit some of the chapter highlights here. One chapter is called The Irony, Intolerance in the Name of Tolerance. What about Love Makes It Right? Know the truth and speak it in love. Cultural tolerance in education. Cultural tolerance in the government. Cultural tolerance in society. Cultural tolerance in the church. And then I love the title of the last chapter, You Can Make a Difference. So one more time, the book is The Beauty of Intolerance. Authors Sean and Josh McDowell. Good book if you're dealing with these kinds of social issues. 